Hello and welcome to The Hardy Brain, the show that takes athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. I'm your host, Dr. David Hardy. And today on our show, we've got another amazing guest, as always. He is the author of Achieve Wealth and Happiness, Proven Strategies for Success. He's been in the financial world and is here to give us some really good advice. Welcome to the show, Jay Malik. How are you doing today? I am doing well. Thank you for having me, Dr. Dave. Oh, absolutely. This is going to be amazing. Now, you're giving a lot of experience and uh, expertise here in, in your book and on our podcast. Uh, what kind of got you thinking about, okay, well, I want to write a book to, to help people take control and actually gain wealth. Uh, what was the process there? So, so it's interesting. I, uh, the, the idea for the book came to me when I was in graduate school at New York University's Stern School of Business in the heart of New York City. Uh, I had heard or read actually an article about a cleaning woman who left $50 million to a women's college in upstate New York. And it was at that exact moment that uh, I began to ask myself the question, is it possible uh, that a presumably you know, average income person could accumulate so much money and be able to donate that much money to a women's college to make such a wonderful difference in the world? And so that was really the start of the book. And by the end of the book, you have the answer to how she did it. How on earth did she do that? Like, that is an amazing amount. Like, was she just stuffing everything under the mattress and living off craft dinner and ketchup? So I, I think what you're asking me to do is to go right to the ending <laughs> before getting uh, to the beginning. But um, I, I can give you uh, the quick answer. I hope people will still go through the book because the book will teach you the techniques Absolutely. by how she did it. Uh, but I'll, I'll sum it up this way. Uh, we had a chief investment officer that I worked with by the name of Ashvin Chabra at Merrill Lynch. And he had said that an investor should use goal-based investing to achieve whatever their goals are. So what that means is if, you, if you have, your goal is a wedding or college or a new car or a second home uh, or whatever that is, your retirement you should invest your money to basically achieve those goals. So the way you're, you're investing for a car, which you're looking to buy in three years, is not going to be the same way you're going to invest for retirement, which may be 30, 40, or maybe closer in, in proximity. Um, so what he said was, in, in his idea on goal-based investing was, break your assets into three primary buckets. One bucket is your cash liquidity bucket. You don't you don't want any return uh, necessarily. You'll take a return, but the primary goal is not to lose any money. You want that money in the event of an emergency. The second bucket is your core bucket, which is keep me up with the markets. So you're going to invest that into a general bond fund or a general equity fund, let's say the S&P 500 or the Dow Jones Industrial Average. So the goal there is to just keep me up with everybody else in the United States and around the world. I don't want to take more risk or less risk, just 
give me the average of what everybody is getting in the world. And then there's a third bucket. And that third bucket is your aspirational bucket. And that is a bucket where you're willing to take a lot more risk than you would with the rest of your portfolio to try and achieve something incredible. Uh, so for example, most wealth in the United States is created in that aspirational bucket. What that aspirational bucket could be is you start a business, right? You've got all of your assets in that one business. If the business succeeds, you could become very wealthy. If it fails, you could lose it all. But it could also be stock options. It could be restricted stock. It could be a concentrated position in a company like an Apple or a Google or an Amazon or a UPS. So the answer to the question is, how did she do it? Did she do it through the cash bucket? Did she do it through the core bucket? Or did she do it through the aspirational bucket? And the answer is, she could have done it easily through the aspirational bucket. So I don't know the answer to this. Maybe she owned a cleaning company. So maybe she had 50 or 100 or 1,000 cleaning people underneath her, and she had all her assets in that, and that company was able to, over a period of time, become valued at $50 million or wow. more. Or she could have taken a little bit of money and just been very lucky in that aspirational bucket and have invested early in Apple or Google or Amazon or Tesla, something, and made an extraordinary amount of money by having a very concentrated position that went through the stratosphere. Very difficult to do, uh, but sometimes that's how people become very wealthy. They get lucky to have invested in the right company at the right time just before it explodes. Um, so these are some of the ways she could have done it, but she could have also done it in that core bucket. So remember, we have our cash bucket, our core, keep me up with the Joneses, or our aspirational bucket where we're taking a lot of concentrated risk. What I mean by she could have done it in her core bucket, um, Warren Buffett, and I go to the annual meetings with uh, the Berkshire Hathaway meetings with Warren Buffett and Charlie yeah. Munger each year. He answered the question on May 7th of 2018, 2018, when he was on an interview with Becky Quick on CNBC. And he said, if someone had invested through that core bucket $10,000, just a mere $10,000 in an index fund, let's say the S&P 500 with dividends reinvested back in 1942, it would be worth $51 million today. And that was through 2018. So the answer is it could have been, she just put a chunk of money, $10,000 into the S&P 500 fund and let it grow no additional contributions, just let it grow over a period of time. It's mind-boggling to, to realize that such a small sum of money, given enough time, invested in the right asset class like the S&P 500, could in fact grow to $51 million. Right. It's absolutely mind-boggling just doing the math. And uh, basically, I think the title should be that there is no such thing as a short game that uh, as you accumulate this wealth, uh, it needs to be looked at a little more long-term planning wise. And you put it into kind of seven strategies or kind of basic points. Uh, do you wanna give the listeners kind of just a tease of what these seven points are? And, uh, and then of course, how it's gonna be expanded in your book when they read it. 
Sure. So if, if you were to look in the book, the book is actually broken into two parts. There's part one, which is how to accumulate large sums of money over a lifetime. And then part two is how to live a happy life. So think about it as yin and yang. You don't want to go through life and just accumulate money and end up being miserable, right? Nice. Um, and you're not going to find happiness in life without some form of wealth. It's just, I mean, you could, but generally speaking, you want to accomplish both. And there was a, some studies done by a gentleman by the name of Napoleon Hill, who wrote a seminal book called Think and Grow Rich many right. years ago. And he, in that book, he interviewed some of the wealthiest uh, industrialists around the world, but mostly in the United States. And what he found, which was the most sad part of his research, was that these people who had accumulated massive amounts of wealth were generally, if if almost always, not happy. And so that's where I'm saying you don't want to end up with a lot of money and a miserable life. So the book is broken into two pieces. The first book will teach you how to accumulate wealth. And the second book will teach you how to be happy at the same time right. and have a great life. So in part one of the book, what I share is the lessons on finance. And I say this uh, to my daughters, because I originally wrote the book for my daughters, that should have been taught to you in high school, college, graduate school. It should have been taught to you by your parents or a mentor. So the lessons in the first part of the book focus on assessing your financial situation, because in order to achieve anything, you have to first measure it in order to manage it and then ultimately control it. So do you know what your income statement is? Do you know what your balance sheet is? Do you know what your net worth is? Um, from there, we go into assessing your financial situation, um, then curbing bad spending habits, learning how to control debt, um, learning how to invest in a goals-based way, learning the key principle to real wealth accumulation, which is the concept of compounding. Um, and then critically important is to put in place a program that creates what's called an immediate estate in the event of an, an unanticipated life event, such as, let's say, passing away early. So in that part of the book, we talk about you know, having insurance and estate documents. And the most important document that every family and person should have is a will. And then in the second, that's the, the seven chapters of the first part of the book. And then when you go into the second part of the book, we talk about identifying your life's purpose, laying out your foundation for success by focusing on the development of positive character traits, which are essential and foundational to being successful understanding the power of incremental advantage, learning how to focus your life's energy, developing the whole you, meaning you want to live a balanced life, and then surrounding yourself with very powerful and positive people in the form of relationships and networks. And then finally, learning that the most important thing you can do in life is giving of your time, talents, treasure, and love, because that's how ultimately you achieve true happiness. I love it. And I, I love how it progresses as well, that this is, this is meant to, to kind of be kind of a guiding uh, theme for, for, uh, for years to come. And uh, 
The thing, though, is like when you talk about debt and when you talk about spending habits, how could people be happy when they're talking about debt and decreasing their poor spending habits? Uh, how are those two connected then? Yeah. So like what you were saying, Dr. Dave, is this my philosophy is not a get rich quick scheme. There is no way to get rich quick. Are you ready to take your brain health to a brand new higher level than ever before? Then please check out thehardybrain.ca and inquire about our virtual brain health intensive programs. There is no way to get rich quick. The reality is, is you have to have a plan, you have to have principles, you have to have steps, you have to have positive habits, good habits that are going to lead to very positive outcomes. So one of the things uh, you're saying is, is, well, how can you be happy by not spending as much? Well, one of the realities of life is, and I'll give you this perfect example, is um, let's use a car as an yes. example. So an average family in America only makes $78,000. Dual income, that's an average family income. The average car in the United States costs anywhere between forty-five dollars and $50,000. That's one car, average car in the United States. Interestingly, Dr. Dave, the average family keeps a car for just three years, just three years, which is really a very short period of time. Wow. So what I'm trying to tell you is, is that, and this is really said, the, the most amount of stress and um, and frustration in life often comes down to paying for the thing, the car that drives you back and forth between where you don't want to be generally your office or work and where you do want to be with your family and in your life. Right? So an average family, remember two people, $78,000, you don't make $78,000. That's people always think in terms of their gross income. What I'm trying to say is like, you don't make gross, you make net because you've got to pay taxes. So after taxes, you're down in the $54,000 range. Now think about how insane it is to be making $54,000 net and buying one car at, let's say, $50,000, because I think that's what the average price is now. But then you usually have two drivers in your family, so $100,000, and then only maintaining that car for three years before you go back out and buy another one. So again, put that into the context of this terrible misery cycle of you're buying $100,000 worth of car on $54,000 worth of net income. The car is the vehicle, the, the thing that drives you back and forth between where you don't want to be and where you do want to be, right? Right. So here's one of the ideas on how you change a habit. You cut a little bit of spending you have a higher quality life and you achieve your financial goals sooner and quicker. Here's the answer. Don't buy a new car. Buy a used car because everybody knows as soon as you drive a car off a car dealer's lot, it depreciates, it drops in value, and then it depreciates over a period of time down to a value of zero. 
So change this one habit. Instead of always trying to be the coolest person on the block or in your, you know, uh, versus trying to keep up with your neighbors and always having to have the nicest, newest thing, you know, buy a car and then stay in that car for 10 years, maybe 20 years. I'll tell you, one of my neighbors, we have a competition going back and forth. I have an old beat up pickup truck and he's probably one of the wealthiest people I know. And he's got a, a beat up old pickup truck and you would have no idea that he's as wealthy as he is because he's always driving around in this old beat up picket pickup truck that he calls Clifford. And it really looks like Clifford. It's a beat up old pickup truck, but that's just not where he prioritizes what makes him happy. That, you know, it's, it's, it's about being wealthy and living a great lifestyle, not paying for the thing that drives him back and forth between where he wants to, where he, where he doesn't want to be and where he does want to be. And these, this type of a basic concept applies to everything. The way you buy coffee, the way you buy clothes, the way you buy anything. Now, let's just dive into it though. Uh, pretending that you don't have wealth, maybe. Uh, doesn't that give you less headaches as well? That if people see you in a beat up truck, that uh, there isn't all the social pressures of being that one percenter or anything else. Uh, can't you actually save yourself some grief then as well? You might be able to save yourself some grief. But the reality is people define themselves by their right. homes, by their cars, by the quality of their pocketbooks, by their shoes or sneakers, which is really a ridiculous way to go through life because those are short, these things give you short-term pleasure, not long-term happiness. And so what I'm saying is, is you want to get out of that rat race of always trying to keep up with the Joneses, set your own path to success, and then be happy in that. The point is, if I'm driving a car, a used car that I paid for $10,000, versus a car that I paid for $50,000 brand new, that same car is going to get me to the office and back the exact same way. Um, it doesn't have to be a nasty looking car. You can get a very nice used car for ten dollars or $15,000 if you're just cautious in how you go out and look for it. And then the idea is don't immediately go and sell it again. Keep it and drive it until you can't drive it anymore. Now, obviously, you always want it to be safe. But the key is um, you want to be happy with your home, with your life, with the quality of the relationships in your life. Um, financial stress is the number one reason for divorce in this country. Right. So if you, if you constantly push for the best and the newest and trying to keep up with your neighbors or keep up with the Joneses, it's just going to lead to a, a life of misery. And you just don't need that. So point is... You know, choose a different path. Read my book. It'll show you how to have all the same material things in your life, but just how to not build up debts right. to where you end up not being able to achieve any wealth. The other hand, you'll have all the same material things, but over time, you'll be able to build up wealth like that cleaning lady that we talked about at the beginning by just being a little bit frugal. The person that really talked about frugality the most is maybe debatably one of the greatest Americans of all time. That was Benjamin Franklin. And he always talked about yes, yeah. frugality. <laughs> now, I kind of love it. And you can get a sense of pride from from that frugality, as as you mentioned there. 
Um, you also mentioned that financials is one of the leading causes of divorces. And uh, yeah, when we look at divorces, obviously it's up there, oh, about half the population now. And mm -hmm. uh, then, of course, if you're single, there's going to be a lot of financial pressures as well because it's not split up. And uh, how do people take these concepts of uh, from being divorced or single uh, to how they can build wealth and also kind of start to develop that prestige along the way, I guess, instead of uh, going for the prestige first before you have any wealth? Yeah, I, I think that's that's important. A lot of it is being self-confident and right. knowing and being goal-oriented and knowing what it is you want to achieve in life. Um, I saw a statistic. It was really a mind-boggling statistic. It's very sad. Get ready to take out your tissues because it's, it's really a very sad commentary on the state of Americans' preparedness for retirement. And this was on CBS Sunday Morning News just a few weeks ago. And it said that 59%, that's almost 60%, that's almost six out of every 10 people in the United States, by the age of, at the age of 55, have zero savings for retirement. Right. Zero. So what's your plan? If, if you have zero saved for retirement and you're 55 years old, what's your plan? I mean, I guess a lot of people say, I'll just keep working until I'm 70 or 80 or 90. That's not a good plan. I once heard it said that, you know, you should enjoy your 20s, 30s and 40s because when you're 50s, you're, when you hit your 50s, your check engine light comes on, right? <laughs> right? All the health issues start coming out. Your knees start going bad. Your hips start going bad. Your mind starts to deteriorate a little bit. You don't, your strategy should not be, I'm going to spend all my money in my 20s, 30s, and 40s, and 50s, and then try and figure it out in my late 50s, 60s, 70s, or 80s. The reality is that's just a recipe for a complete disaster. And the sad part is that these ideas, these principles should have been taught to you in grade school, in high school. It should have been taught to you in college, in graduate school. It should have been taught through your churches. It should have been taught to you by your parents, by your mentors. The reason why it's not taught is because nobody knows these principles because it was never taught to them in the first place. And right. so you're, you're, if, if, if you're 55 years old and you have zero savings for retirement, I'm telling you, you're going to be stressed in your relationships with your spouse, significant other, anybody. So learn this lesson now and move back in time if you're young enough, change your habits, stop buying the newest, the best, the greatest, stop trying to live for today and realize that you know the average American is living into their mid to late 70s, into their 80s. There are people living to 100. And if you haven't planned early enough in your life, which is very easy to do, like you said, read just steps one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, follow those steps in chronological order from my book, you will achieve wealth. And by the time you're 55, you will not be one of those 60% of Americans that has nothing saved. Right. So kind of in that time frame, okay, say you're in your 50s, 60s, and you're like, I, I, need, I need to get something together. Or say you're in your 20s and you're like, okay, well, how long do I need to be doing this for before then I've got more? 
free income to, to spend. Uh, kind of what would be the minimum length of time uh, if somebody is saving you know, 10, 20% of their salary to, to start to develop some wealth? Well, see, a lot of that's going to be dependent on how big is your income um, and, and how much of your income you're actually saving. And if you're saving anything at all, you don't want right. to be upside down. Unfortunately, most Americans don't save anything. You know, they live right up to their income limits. And hence, the reason why they find themselves at 55 years old with zero retirement savings. I mean, it's, it's really my, quite mind-boggling. But let me, let me just walk you through the debt trap. And this, is, this right. is basically happens to every single American. And if you can, you can easily reverse this debt, this debt and you know, destructive financial situation uh, uh, cycle. So the average American, when they come out of college, you know, some Americans are lucky enough not to have a college debt because their parents were gracious enough to give it to them. But an average American might come out with, you know, 40, 50, maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of debt. I mean, there are some private schools in this country now that are $90,000 per year. An average state right. school is probably in that 20 to 25 thousand dollars per year. So if you're just on loans, you at a state school, you could be coming out with a hundred thousand dollars worth of debt. So let's say as you come again, remember, this is the average of how an American life goes. You come out of college. Um, what's the first thing you think you're entitled to? A new car, right? So you graduate from college, you go out and you buy yourself that brand new car, fifty thousand dollars, right? Then what's the next thing you do? You end up finding that significant other and the two of you decide, hey, maybe we should get married. So the man goes out and buys the woman, you know, a, a, an engagement ring, right? And that's going to be, let's just say, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars. So now, on top of that fifty thousand dollar car, you've put on twenty thousand dollars worth of debt, and then you decide you're going to get married, right? The two of you. So you end up having this uh, wedding. But you got to pay for a honeymoon. So you, you get this, you know, you go to Hawaii or you go to the Caribbean or you go somewhere and you spend another, you know, 10, 15, $20,000 on that. And maybe you've even paid for the wedding or maybe you've been lucky enough to have your parents pay for the wedding. But when you get back from your honeymoon, what, what you find yourself now, now there's two of you in a relationship and now you need two cars, right? So you 50,000 add another $50,000. And then the next thing you know is, you're like, let's go buy a house. So you go buy a house, right? And then when you get the house, you realize, holy crap, the house doesn't have any furnishings. There's no appliances. There's no lawnmower. There's no blower. So you go out and you buy all this stuff, TVs and uh, radios, whatever you need in the house. Um, so you build up all this type of stuff. And then the next thing you know is you want to have a child. Right. And right. children are not free. I don't know why everybody thinks children are free. It's probably going to cost you three thousand dollars to get the child just out of the hospital after the child is born. Yeah, and once you buy the child, then you've got to. <laughs> right. Once the child is born, you've got to buy cribs and clothes. And and so the average American, by the time they are 30, they have saved nothing and they've accumulated a 200, let's say two hundred fifty thousand dollar debt. That now they have to service, and it's probably costing them twenty to thirty to forty thousand dollars per year to service. Now, remember, the average American family to income is only making seventy-eight thousand dollars per year right. gross net. That's fifty-four thousand dollars. So you can see that debt cycle has just taken them out of the game. Absolutely. So how do you reverse that? 
debt cycle in order to become wealthy? Well, just don't spend as much, right? So I'm not, certain things you can cut out. Instead of going to Hawaii for $20,000, why don't you go to the Caribbean for $10,000 or get an Airbnb down in Florida for $5,000 or $2,500 for a week, right? So you've just cut the amount you spent on your honeymoon. I would not recommend cutting on how much you're spending for a diamond engagement ring. I think everybody, that's long-term trouble if you cut into that. So don't cut into that. But then when you're buying cars, don't go out and buy $100,000 worth of cars. Remember, two cars 50, and then turning them in every three years, don't do that. Go buy two $15,000 cars. That's $30,000, right? And then when you buy a house, yeah, buy a house. A house usually over a long period of time appreciates. It's usually a good investment. But when you go and you furnish the house, you don't have to have all new stuff. You can buy some used stuff. You can go through... Facebook Marketplace to buy couches and and you can buy just as nice used couches as you can brand new couches and tables and you know you can do open box items when you're buying a refrigerator or a stove or you know those types of things. Right, so absolutely. the idea is instead of building up let's say $250,000 debt right out the gate if you could keep that down to like Eighty thousand or a hundred thousand dollars, you still have the same house. You're still driving two cars. You still have the house nicely furnished. You can move on to having children. You see what I'm saying? And by not having built up two hundred and fifty thousand, let's say a hundred thousand, the amount of money you need to service that debt is substantially less. And that difference is what you're going to put into your investment accounts, and that's what's going to grow. To a huge amount of money over a long period of time. Remember, that cleaning woman potentially could have taken $10,000, put it in an S&P 500 fund, and over that period of time from 1942 to 2018, that grew to $51 million. That, that's mind-boggling, right? But I'm telling you, the difference is she just didn't build up all those debts right out the gate. And it's, when you don't build up the debts, you have extra money to invest. And in the book, one of the chapters is about changing your spending habits, right? And I show where I can find over $20,000 worth of savings out of that average net income of $54,000 for you to save and then invest. And then investing, that means compounding. And I just said $20,000 per year. Well, $20,000 is 100% more than the $10,000 that the cleaning lady started with. So imagine how big you could potentially grow your net worth if every year you were putting $20,000 into an investment account like a zero-fee S&P 500 fund, which you can get at Charles Schwab or any of the brokerage companies, and then you just keep adding to it and letting that grow. Remember, the cleaning woman, what I was saying, what Warren Buffett was saying, she put $10,000 in an account one time, no additional contributions. What I'm suggesting is $20,000 the first year, $20,000 the second year, $20,000 the third year. If she could accumulate 50 million, what could you accumulate? Maybe multiples of what she was able to accumulate just by following those first seven chapters and the steps that I outlined in my book and starting early enough. Right. Now, you mentioned that all of this should have been taught sooner. Um, but basically, anytime there's rules uh, in society, eventually when so many people start building on it and building on it, uh, the rules change. 
And for instance, uh, I'm talking like the housing market, how that just collapsed on people. And we were told back in the day that, yeah, investing in a house is, is going to be one of those retirement things for you. And then, of course, with college, well, we now know that the college debt bubble is, is way more than the housing market ever was. Um, can you kind of speak to how these rules change and uh, how people can be more mindful and observant of the traps that are going to be set out for people uh, to finance the, the debt industry? Yeah. So, so what I'm saying is the rules don't really change. (laughs) They don't. Um, Lenders just get innovative and come up with new and different ways to get you to take loans from them. The rules never change. What I walked you through the average life cycle of a, of a person in the United States that never changes. You know, the average person goes to college at about 18. They graduated at about 22. They get married at about 27. By the time they're 30, in their early 30s, they've already accumulated $253,000 worth of debt. And they're, they're, they're deciding to use uh, their HELOCs off of their mortgage, which is a home equity line off of their mortgages. They're choosing to use credit cards. They're choosing to use store cards. They're you choosing you know, to, to, to take on all this debt. You can just choose not to take on all this debt. You can choose, instead of buying a $50,000 car, with a $50,000 loan to buy a $15,000 car and not have a loan at all, just buy it with cash. Right. You see we what I'm saying? The, we understand the, the car uh, example. What about oh. career and college-wise though? But but it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. So look I, look, I think trade schools are great. I think it's right. absolutely essential to get a high school degree. Um, I think it's beneficial to have a college degree. I even think it's beneficial to get graduate degrees. Again, there are many ways to get a degree. You don't have to spend three hundred thousand dollars. You know, if you're getting a you know a, like an eighty ninety thousand dollar education, you can go to a state school and get and pay uh, twenty twenty five thousand dollars. In fact, while you're in high school, you could start going to a community college. And for a, a fraction of that money, you know, get college credits, get almost two years worth of college credits so that when you go to the state school, instead of four years, you only have to go for two years. But I will say this. I mm-hmm. once heard it said that the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff said that the number one national security issue in the United States is the, is the fact that we're not producing enough educated citizenry um, okay. to go into even into the military. So you've got to, I always say, look at Wayne Gretzky. He says, you always want to go to where the puck is. The puck is going towards more of an information technology type world. You really want, you need to be educated in order to to be able to participate in those types of jobs in the future to some extent. We'll always need mechanics and plumbers and and you you should definitely... There's no, there's a lot of money to be made in those trades, and I, I highly respect everybody who does that. But the reality is, there is no substitute for continually learning and getting smarter and smarter. And you don't necessarily have to spend a huge amount of money to do that. So the college debt issue, it's an issue for people who decide to take out big debts. I mean, the reality is, you can go to some Ivy League colleges. Many of them, their endowments are so large that most of the college tuitions at like a Harvard or a Yale are free. 
Right. Um, you just have to be really um, thoughtful about this. There's also lots of scholarship money out there. And or like I said, go to a community college first and then go into a state school and you can still come out with a four-year degree. So there's lots of ways. The car was just one example. College is another example. Stopping, dr Stop drinking all the Starbucks coffees. That's another right. example of ways that just by doing small little changes, as I outline in my book, you, you can stop building up debts and start instead accumulating assets. And then when you start investing those assets, you can get on the path to growing a net worth like that cleaning lady at the beginning, as we told at the beginning of the book, the story is really about her. I love it. Now you mentioned skating to where you think the puck is going to go. What are mm -hmm. uh, kind of your closing thoughts on uh, what people should be doing in kind of this time of turmoil and with a predicted recession, depression, whatever you want to call it. Uh, how can people kind of skate through this and, uh, if they are in debt, keep getting themselves out of debt and have a prosperous life. Yeah. So, so in my book, I, I, I talk about how to get out of your debts. Um, yes. and, and a lot of that comes back to changing how you spend and how you, um, your habits on buying things. You, you just change little things and um, the outcome on the other side can be quite enormous, such as over time accumulating huge amounts of wealth, right? So again, get rid of the debts, keep the debts low in the first place. And with the difference in that money saved, you put it into an account. And then my book walks you through how to invest it so that over a long period of time, it grows to these really remarkable numbers. The power of compounding, Albert Einstein said, compounding is the most powerful force in the universe. Um, people just don't generally understand it. It's not that intuitive an idea to understand. In one of my chapters, which is focused on compounding, I try to explain the idea of saving and then investing and then how compounding works to take your money to a whole nother level of success. Right. Um, and uh, also in your book there, you go through uh, kind of uh, Ray Dalio's uh, perspective, uh, Tony yes. Robbins, um, on different kind of crisis periods in the economy as well. And yep. I really think people need to kind of hone in and look at that. Um, do you think that really fortifies everything that, that you've been saying and stating throughout this as well? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, you're going to have um, different practitioners on how to become wealthy. You're going to have these, you see these infomercials on TV, which say, hey, do what I tell you and I'll get you rich in a week. Right. There's no way. It's no. just not going to happen. You have other people like the rich dad, poor dad authors Robert Kiyosaki, who say, look, the only way to be become wealthy is to give up your nursing job or to give up your, you know, your uh, whatever job, your, you know, your social worker job and become an entrepreneur. My book says you don't have to do that. My book says you can be a police officer, you can be a military, you can be in the military, you can be a police, you can be a firefighter, you can be a social worker, you can be a nurse, you can be a teacher. If you just change the way you think about money, follow the easy seven chapters and the steps in them, stop building up debts, instead start finding money to put away to invest and then be disciplined about your investing, you too can accumulate an amount of wealth that you never even dreamed possible. And it's just by changing little habits in your day in, day out process that leads to these 
enormous, incredible outcomes. The other thing that we didn't talk about as much today mm-hmm. is about having a mindset that leads to not only wealth, but also happiness. And remember, wealth is also happiness, right? I mean, there's different forms of wealth. Like I I think the greatest wealth in the world is to have your health and your happiness and a happy and and a joyful family and a joyful life, right? That's, that is the greatest wealth. There's um, a great quote that I love from uh, Joe versus the volcano, which is, you know, not one of my favorite movies, but there's a great quote in this book. And uh, this is a a quote about awakening and living into just an an incredible life. And what um, the two characters on it are Meg Ryan, um, and she's speaking to Tom Hanks. And what Meg Ryan says is, she says, my father says that the whole world is asleep. Everybody you know, everybody you see, everybody you talk to. He says that only a few people are awake and they live in a state of constant, total amazement. Right. The only way you're going to achieve this total state of con- this constant state of total amazement, I'm telling you, is if you follow the ideas in my book, which if you decide to go down the average American's debt trap, by the time you're 30 and you have 250, 300,000, you are not going to live a happy, extraordinary life. If you change things, especially the younger, the better, the longer the runway, the easier it is to accumulate a really happy and prosperous life. If you change these little things and you put the seeds in place that will grow these enormous you know, crops and forests, by the time you're 40, 50, 60, 70, you're going to you're going to be living an amazing life. You're you're not going to have as much stress in your life because you're going to have these extra assets to be able to fall back onto. You're going to be thinking about what you're going to be doing in retirement, like buying a second home or going on cruises or traveling all around Europe. Um these are the things you want to be doing, not at 55 like 60% of Americans have no money set aside for retirement where they're going to be thinking, oh my God, I guess I got to get a job at Walmart because I'm not even healthy enough to do the original job that I was doing, like firefighter or police officer or member of the military, because those are taxing jobs on your body and you just can't do those forever. So again, the idea is live an extraordinary life. You do that by changing the way you spend. And look, you can, you, some, a lot of people who are listening to your podcast are not 20 or even 30. They may be 40, 50 or 60. It's never too late to change the habits that are building debts and change it to building assets, which create like a wave, which then you can put your surfboard on and ride through the rest of your life on, right? That, that's the way to go through that. And Jay, the passion you have about helping and serving people in this realm is incredible. Now, people need to come out and obviously find you. Uh, where do they do that? And how do they get a copy of your book? Yeah, so they can get my book on Amazon. It's The book is Achieve Wealth and Happiness, Proven Strategies for Success. Just type my name, Jay Malik, and, and or the book into Google. Just say Amazon. It's available on Amazon. And if you want to follow me, you can follow me on LinkedIn. Again, it's Jay Malik, J-A-Y. Malik, M-A-L-I-C-K, type my name in and you'll be able to follow me there and any of the updates that I give relative to 
what's in the book or what I'm teaching around the book, or like you're saying, even talking about present market conditions and how you might think about investing or, you know, um, or saving or thinking just generally about those various markets. Now, the one thing I will say, yes. just as a caution is I have worked for some of the largest financial services firms in the country, uh, on the banking side, on the brokerage side, on the asset management side, the ideas I'm sharing with you today are my ideas and not necessarily any of my previous employers' right. ideas. But again, you know, I went to one of the top, I went to high school, I went to a state college, then I went to one of the top finance schools in the country. I worked in asset and wealth management my entire career over 30 years. The principles that I'm sharing with you are proven. They will lead to the type of success that you're hoping to have in your life, both Perfect. financial as well as, you know, having a happy life. Excellent. All right. Definitely pick up a copy of Jay's book there. And for everyone, stay tuned to the next episode of The Hardy Brain, the show that takes athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. Take care.